Welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, Jenna. Hi, Beth. Friend, how are you? Couldn't be better. Really? Just recording podcast after podcast today. (laughs) Living my best life. This is what they call in the industry, batch recording. Wow. Yeah. Jenna, you want to introduce our guest today? I would love that. We have with us the lovely Debbie Herbeck. Hi, Debbie. Hi. So good to be with you both. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Of course. I wish I was actually there with you, but this is the next best thing. Yes. (laughs) Me too. And we get to see you soon. When is that retreat? Well, you'll be in in September. Yeah. You know, you'll be in Nashville. Yeah. I can't wait. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. I'm just telling everyone about it. My whole family wants to come to Nashville. What? That's going to be an incredible retreat. You'll be there. Michelle Benzinger will be there. It's going to be so good. Yeah. Yeah. Debbie, would you mind introducing yourself for our listeners? Sure. Debbie Herbeck, daughter of God, daughter of Abraham. You'll hear more about that later. I'm a wife, a mother of four, a grandmother to six and one on the way. And in my spare time, I lead a ministry called Be Love Revolution, which is a movement for young women, junior high, all the way through young adults to really help them know the personal love of Jesus, to really walk in freedom and really be God's love in the world. And just try and support my husband and the call that God has on his life to be a Catholic layman as well. So very full life, grateful for the life that God's given me. I mean, you are running multiple ministries, including a ministry to a large family. Yeah. It's the most rewarding thing. Sometimes when I get up to speak and people do this kind of long, boring bio of me, I'm like, just say... You know, I'm a wife and a mother. My greatest achievements are, you know, obviously my own family, I like to think, and just my identity as a daughter of God. So the rest, you know, will all pass away, honestly. Mm. Michelle Benzinger, take notes, MC of the Nashville Retreat. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's Debbie's intro for you. Well, I'm about to steal that and just tell people to just introduce me as a daughter of God. This is Beth Davis, daughter of God. Yes. No further introduction needed. Yeah, cut to the chase, (laughs) you know. That's all that really matters, right? Absolutely. That's huge, Debbie. That's life-changing huge to root yourself in your identity as a daughter of God. Absolutely. To make that your most defining characteristic. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm working on it. I don't always believe it every day when I wake up, but yeah. that is essentially the most important piece of who we are. Yeah. Debbie, I would love if you'd be willing to share a little bit of your story, your conversion, especially in light of that beautiful intro. Sure. I'll give you the very short version uh, because it can be rather lengthy. But um, I grew up in a Jewish home and really had no understanding or really idea of who Jesus was and his relationship to Christianity. And I've lived a very insulated Jewish life, which is not unusual for Jews. And so was very proud and very aware of my own Jewish identity and my own Jewish heritage, but also had a very keen sense, especially as I got a little bit older, that Christianity was something that was off limits for me. And that because of that, I didn't really know who Jesus was, which probably in today's world with media and everything is almost impossible to say. But back in the day, uh, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't have exposure to who he was. And so, and I grew up with a very 
purposeful and intentional Jewish upbringing. I was, you know, had Jewish education. I began to learn Hebrew when I was very young. I was bat mitzvah when I was 13, which is a lot like confirmation process and um, had a very strong sense of Jewish identity, but had no real personal connection with God. Didn't even know if he was real or if he cared about me or could be known in a personal way. And I think for me, the turning point that began my very slow process of conversion was when I was 15. My older brother, two years older, was killed in a car accident very suddenly and very violently. In the moment of the car accident, when I was away from my family, but hearing the news, I actually prayed and I said, God, I don't know if you're real and I don't know if you can hear me, but please save my brother's life. And when we received the news that he had died, my instinct was, God, where are you? If you cared, if you loved me, you would have been here to save his life. And that really led me on a journey through the rest of my high school, a very grief-filled, very angry, searching for answers that I felt were nowhere to be found. A lot of, I'd say, self-destructive behaviors, mostly because I was hurting so badly and I wanted things to kind of numb my pain and had no framework, no spiritual framework to understand what happens when we die. Where do we go? All of that. And so, you know, to make it very short, really led me down a path to going to the University of Michigan, a very big secular school. I have an identical twin sister. We separated for the first times in our lives, which was huge. Didn't know anybody and kind of dove into college life. And unbeknownst to me, my roommate was a very serious Catholic. So here we are sharing a tiny room together, and she's my first Catholic, and I was probably her first Jew. She and some other girls on the hall began to evangelize me and talk to me about Jesus. And that process of how Jesus broke into my life is a lot. People can actually look on YouTube. I have my testimony there to hear the in-depth story, but essentially the Lord broke in in a very profound way. When I was a freshman, middle of my freshman year in college, I found out that I was pregnant. I had been dating. This is my high school boyfriend and was very, very alone in this whole decision. And basically in the middle of winter, walked to a pregnancy counseling center and had an abortion. And it's something that still grieves me this day to talk about it. But I went back to life as normal. This was like an interruption in my life and my plan for my life. And I just went back to life as normal. And I said, I will never open this part of my life again. I will never talk about it. It's behind me and I just need to move on. And so within probably four or five months, the Lord broke into my life in a very, very profound way. And interestingly enough, it was through watching the movie Jesus of Nazareth, coming to a scene in that movie where Jesus is met by Martha and Mary in Bethany and their brother has died. The narrative from that movie scene was the narrative of my life. When Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And I watched Jesus go to the tomb of Lazarus and raise him from the dead. And I thought, who is this man? Is he the Messiah? And so I went back to my room and I borrowed a friend's Bible and I read all the four gospels for the first time. And I read that passage where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will never die, but live forever. And I didn't know what all those words meant, but I knew there was a promise there. And I began to pray every night in my dorm, God, if you're real, if Jesus is the Messiah, show me. 
for nine months, I prayed that prayer and read scripture and began to dive into what it means to be a disciple or a follower. So to cut to the chase, make it really short. The Lord appeared to me in a very powerful, dramatic way in a dream and then in a vision in my dorm room. And really, I knew through the gift of faith that he was the Messiah and he was calling me to follow him. And I did. I walked through that door and haven't looked back since. Debbie, don't cut it short. I don't cut anything short. (laughs) I have so many questions. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. Yeah so Mm -hmm. much for sharing that with us truly Mm -hmm. it's so sacred to hear people's story Mm -hmm. and you're so brave and generous to share your story with us so thank you glad to do it after i had my conversion there were ways i met jesus through the scriptures and everything but the lord kind of made a deal with me i made a deal with him and he said i've given you this story for a reason and whenever you're asked to share it you cannot refuse unless you're deathly ill, because this is the way that I want to work through the story that I've given you. And so I've tried to keep that bargain with the Lord over the years, even when I've been tired or don't really want to or don't really feel like people want to hear is to be able to share the ways that he's worked in my life to give people hope and inspiration that he can work in theirs and their loved ones as well. Yeah, yeah I believe that. I believe there's a transmission of grace and that even there's a special character to the grace of individual people's story of freedom that it sets other Mm -hmm. people free. So I believe that's happening as people just listen to your story. So thanks. I would like to just point out, (laughs) I'm in awe of your roommate. That's not something you normally hear about Catholic young adults that they would share their faith. At a public university. Yeah. Yeah. To share yeah, their that, that was a divine setup. Yeah, I mean, a Catholic roommate who had just come alive in her faith and really met Jesus, and then another young woman on the floor who was a bold evangelist, and now she's a sister. She ended up living a consecrated life and giving no me the way. Bible that she lent to me when she made her final vows. So this oh, was a chills. total setup. That is incredible. Right. I can't believe that you would even be open to watching the movie Jesus of Nazareth. I didn't know I was going to be watching it. I kind of got asked to come and watch a movie and I sat down and (gasps) the movie begins to unfold. I'm kind of shy, you know, so I don't like to make waves. I'm sitting on the floor watching it and I watch it for like 10 minutes. And I turned to my friend, Sarah, and I said to her whispering, he's Jewish. Yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. Wow. I didn't know Jesus was Jewish. And so all of a sudden, my whole life being raised with this sense that he's unaccessible to me, Mm. he's Gentile, whatever those barriers that I had up, all of a sudden, I'm like, he's one of us. We're part of the same family. I mean, God can work in so many amazing ways. And it's not even that good of a movie. I mean, it's, you know, it's... (laughs) God works through Hollywood. This is my first exposure to Jesus is through this Hollywood movie where Jesus never blinks. You know, he's just like walking around like, but God used it. He yeah. knew what my threshold was and he knew where I needed to be met in order to kind of have that first meeting of at least being drawn in and being open. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, oh, my grandfather's going to kill me, you know, and I shouldn't be here and all of those things. But yeah. the Lord used it for sure. I'm in danger of just dissolving into a puddle of tears over here. But I so, you know, in my own way, relate to encountering the person of Jesus and finding him just so attractive, his goodness. 
the truth about him. There's something in the person of Jesus that it's shocking in a way to meet someone who's so alive and who's so kind and who's so present. It's impossible to look away. Even from a bad movie, the truth of the scripture won out. Yeah, that's why I feel passionate, I think, about helping young people encounter the person of Christ. Mm, Yeah. Have knowledge, information about the church and everything. It's awesome, but it's just information if it's not informed by the person of Christ and his presence in our life. And so we really need to be helping people have that personal encounter and trusting that the Lord wants it more than we do. You know, he wants people to encounter him in that way that's transformative and life-changing. If I may, I think your experience of growing up in a Jewish household that was very culturally Jewish is not very different from a lot of people who grew up with a culture of Catholicism, but had never had a personal encounter with God. He was distant to them or even questioned if he was real, even though they were totally rooted in their religion. Absolutely. No, I think there's a lot of points of identification there for Catholics listening as well, and hopefully inspiring them to be motivated to ask that question, have I met the person of Christ? Yeah. One of our priest friends, Father Parks, he says, have you had the metanoia? Yeah. The dropping the nets. Yeah. Like you've met the person of Jesus, but have you dropped your nets and followed him? Dropped Mm -hmm. what you were doing before. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's such a beautiful, vivid image. You know, have we dropped our nets and surrendered everything to follow this person that we know? Yeah, because there is a response. And you responded with your whole life. I cannot imagine, Debbie, how you would tell your family. We only know you now as this powerhouse Catholic woman raising a beautiful family, giving her life in mission and in ministry. And yet you have been through all of these things. Yeah. When I began to read the Gospels and read what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, I was stunned. The cost is so high. And he talks about counting the cost. So you know what you're getting into. And I thought, really? Is this how Christians live their lives? Because this is a really high cost. And I'm either all in or I'm not doing it at all. You know, and so I was very aware of the cost. And fast forward, I met Christ, really knew I wanted to follow him. And then I had to convey that to my family. And uh, my parents hired a private investigator. They thought I was in a cult. They thought I was brainwashed. Mm, I mean, imagine this, you know, thinking you're losing your child. And so their response was equally as severe in a certain way to wanting to know what is it that's influenced my daughter to change so significantly. And, it, you know, obviously there was a lot of difficult moments and years of being separated and learning how to find another family in Christ, but the Lord slowly restoring relationships and family relationships and family bonds that the Lord says will happen if we say yes to him. That's part of the cost. I knew that going in. I just didn't know how hard it would be. I mean, my little heart leaps to hear you say that it will happen. I need hope for my own family, and you've given that to me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I hear you say that you really immerse yourself in scripture. But I can't help but wonder, it must have been a pretty powerful dream. Yeah. <laughs> it was a powerful dream. I uh, I can tell you the dream really quickly. I had just been home over Thanksgiving and kind of hinted to my parents that I was exploring the New Testament and they responded very poorly wow. in my estimation. I mean, they just freaked out. Let's just say that. And um, 
it was a little bit of a sneak preview for me about what this cost was really going to be. And so I went back to school in those next few days afterwards. I had a dream and in the dream, I heard a voice calling out to me as I was standing in a long, dark hallway. Who do you say that I am? And in the dream, I couldn't see anyone. And a second time, that voice called out to me, who do you say that I am? And I saw a shadow or a figure of someone standing at the end of the hallway. And then a third time, the voice called out, who do you say that I am? And as I looked down that hallway, Jesus was standing right in front of me. And I just said, you're Jesus, you're the Lord. Yeah, I woke up from that dream and I was like, whoa, I was so vivid. I went to meet my friend Sarah at the gym and I told her about this dream and I said, do you think there's anything to it? And she like almost fell over. She's like, yeah. yeah. And I said, it's too hard. I have all the, the head knowledge. I've done all my work and study, but I don't have the faith in my heart to believe it because the cost is so high. I need the conviction. I need the reassurance. I need to know that he is the Messiah. And she said, keep seeking and keep knocking and keep asking because God wants to reveal himself to you. So I continued to pray that prayer that I've been praying for nine months in my dorm every single night, prayer for faith. And one night I was sitting up in my bed, I had a loft and I was praying that prayer. It was at night, it was dark. And it's going to sound a little bit strange, but as I prayed that prayer, I just had my dorm room filled with this tremendous presence and light and sense of somebody else was there in the room with me. And... I didn't know who it was, but I just got down on my knees and I said, God, I've messed up my life. If this is you, I've messed up my life. I've broken most of your commandments. And if you give me another chance, I want to know you and I want to live for you. And in that moment of praying that prayer, Jesus was there in the room with me, standing before me, holding out his hand and offering me something. And he spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but in the depths of my heart. And he said, this is for you. It's a gift. It's a gift of faith. You sought for it. You asked for it. And this is for you. And I want to tell you, as the Lord kind of in this vision extended his hand to me, I just knew that it was true. I knew he was the Messiah. I knew he loved me. I knew he had a plan for my life. I knew he forgave me. I knew so little about my faith, but I had met him. And so I said, yes. I said, I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to live according to your ways. And I'm going to trust you for the whole rest of my life. And so in that encounter, in that moment, that was not the end of the story. It was actually just the beginning of beginning to walk with him. I noticed earlier that you used the phrase gift of faith, and that felt very Mm -hmm. intentional. And Mm -hmm. it's cool just to hear that the gift of faith is such a part of your Mm -hmm. story, an important part. But Debbie, what I love (laughs) is your perseverance in prayer. I think sometimes we can approach faith or go to mass or sit in adoration, not feel anything and wonder, where is God? But as you explored, as you studied, you persevered and you prayed, give me faith. I want to believe. And I think sometimes it is a cooperation of our effort and our praying and asking and the Lord responding rather than just being frustrated that, you know, I don't feel anything. Yeah. And In a good way, I didn't have a lot of expectation Mm. to even know what I was supposed to feel or think. I just was so hungry. I was hungry for truth. I knew there was a lot stirring inside me. You know, I referenced before the abortion that I had. There was parts of me that were so 
unsettled. And so I just didn't love who I was and love, you know, what I had become. And it was really desperate, desperation, you know, and the Holy Spirit was stirring that in me to continue on. But yeah, I think the perseverance, nine months, you know, so something was birthed after that nine months of really seeking and asking in me. And it was a gift of faith because it was so clear to me, there's nothing I could do to earn it or deserve it. God was just freely giving it to me. Beth and I have talked previously about our own kind of past struggles and habitual sin and specifically pornography and masturbation and how difficult that's been. And I guess what a gift it is to realize the mercy of God and Mm -hmm. how merciful he is. And I'm just curious if you would be willing to share what that was like to feel burdened by something and give that to him in your own life. I carried that burden of shame with me for a long, long time. It was a door I felt like I closed and locked and threw the key away and thought, I will never, ever open this again. Because if I do, it will be a scandal (laughs) to everyone who knows me, you know. And I think I, you know, hadn't really in the deepest part of my heart believed in the mercy of God for me. I was preaching it. I was teaching it. I was mentoring in it. I was walking with women in it. I mean, I have a million scripts that I could give to every other young woman about why God's mercy was available to them and a million tapes in my head about why it wasn't for me. And at a certain point, at the, the last day of the year of mercy, a few years ago, the Lord just nailed me on this. I was speaking at a, a retreat for high school students and the Lord said, share your story with them about your hidden abortion. And I was like, no way, absolutely not. I will not do it. <laughs> you know, These are all kids, young women I had mentored. They all knew me. They're all like, you know, the pro-life club and everything. Mm. And I just thought, I can't. And the Lord said, you must. And I think we've both been in situations where, you know, you just have to do it, you know. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to submit it to the person that's leading the retreat. If they tell me to do it, I will take that as a fine. And so I did. And they said, yeah, you have to do this. So I did it with great fear and trepidation and was very intentional as I kind of shared the story of this abortion, looking in the eyes of the young women that I'd been mentoring. I was so afraid of disappointing them and so afraid that all my deepest fears would be realized in that moment, that I was an imposter. And I watched one particular young woman who's just got such a tender heart who is without guile she began weeping as I shared and at the end of my story every single young person there were about 70 young people in the room got up and began to give me a standing ovation and then they all got up from their chairs and stood in line and every single person hugged me and at the very end of the line was that tender-hearted young woman big family pro-life and everything and she just was weeping and she just grabbed me on me and she said I love you more than I ever have. Thank you for sharing your story. That was the day before the end of the year of mercy. And the Lord just said, you have to start talking about this and you have to start believing that I died on the cross for this sin. Because I didn't believe that. I felt like I had one unforgivable sin in my life. And the Lord just said, how dare you? I died for all of it. How dare you presume and you have one sin that I can't touch. And I just want to tell you in the freedom of being able to open up 
my story to these young people was like an avalanche. And it's not like every place I go, you know, I'm at the grocery store. Hey, guess what God did? I mean, I'm very yeah. discerning about sure. how and when I share it. But the Lord has brought, as you know, women out of hiding. I, you know, the Lord asked me to share it a week later at a women's retreat. And a woman pulled me aside and said, I've been carrying this secret for 40 years. And I have never shared it before. You've given me courage. And I was able to pray with her. And the Lord lifted some things from her. So... I'm not exceptional. I think the Lord wants us all to be brave and to have the freedom to show our brokenness and to really believe deep down you are loved no matter what. Yes. And your sin does not define you. And that's the voice of shame. We've all heard it before. You know, you are what you've done. I never want to leave this earth with regrets, but the regret I'm working on is I don't want anyone to wait as long as I did. I want people to have communities and places of safety and the courage especially women, to say what they've done and what's been done to them in ways that they can find healing and freedom and the mercy of God. So that's kind of my latest battle. That's what I'm fighting, and I'm helping other young women fight through it. And I can't lead a charge in fighting something if I'm not willing to open it up myself, because I know the Lord loves to use broken people. I mean, He's using you in such a powerful way. Thank God for your obedience and it resonates with me so deeply what you were talking about in terms of mercy that it's so easy to believe in the Lord's mercy for other people and it's harder to receive it for ourselves. Mercy, love even. It's yeah. easy to believe that the Lord loves other people and much more difficult to experience and receive it for ourselves. I think it's a big key to unlocking a lot of how the Lord wants to use us as women as well. And I think it's a big way the enemy has had a stronghold for a lot of women who are living in such deep shame. And I think, you know, the Lord wants to start breaking some of that stuff open. So um, we don't need to live that way anymore. And then help out young women to really live in the freedom and the mercy of God, to really believe deep down that they're forgiven. And the Lord said to me, when he asked me to share at that retreat, I said, why, Lord? And he said, because I want every young person in this room to know that there's absolutely nothing they've done or ever will do that will keep me from loving them. Wow. Wow. And they will not understand that unless you're willing to share that from your own life. Wow. You know, Debbie, you talked about counting the cost. And I think there isn't just a cost on the front end of a relationship with Jesus. There are costs all along the way. And yeah. I think there's a cost to freedom that... If we want to be truly free, we have to, in the face of shame, put our heart and our story and our sin, our past out there. Even things that we've experienced since we've known the Lord that have been painful. Mm -hmm. And it is so painful to revisit those things, but we have to be willing to show them again to the Lord and to other people in order to receive the mercy and freedom that God really desires for all of us. And I think we want to be really cleaned up before we present ourselves to other people, to the world or our neighbor or whatever. And, you know, in some ways we just have to be willing to be messy and, yeah. and let others see us in the mess and not feel like I can only share this when it's totally figured out or totally processed or totally resolved. That's just not life and it's not realistic. And if we keep holding on to that, we will never show people our true authentic selves. And the older I get, the more I realize how true that is. You know, I, I feel an urgency, a sense of urgency about my life and mm. about what God's calling me to. And I, I want to respond to that. 
I do not want to wrap up this conversation. I would love to keep talking to you, but sadly, we're going to. Debbie, would you mind leading us in a prayer? Sure, I'd be glad to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you so much for your infinite mercy. We thank you for the revelation of your Son, Jesus, and the grace to say yes to him, not only in the big ways, but every single day in the small ways. Thank you for sisterhood and for the ability to open and share our lives with one another and to receive love and mercy from one another. Lord, we pray that all those who are listening and all those who will receive these words would just find in themselves a place to receive your mercy and your grace. Lord, plant hope where there is no hope. Love where we are faltering in love. Lord, we just thank you so much for the plan that you have for each of our lives and for the tremendous privilege it is to say yes to you and to follow you each day. We thank you for creating us as women and the tremendous gifts that you've given us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So Debbie, I'm sure many more women will want to hear more from you and more about you. And you have beautiful ministries and you've recently written for us. We have a small group resource actually just came out this week called Misericordia. And you were one of our authors. Thank you so much for sharing more incredible stories of what God's done in your life in that resource. So if people want to spend a little more time with you, they can Mm -hmm. check out Misericordia. Blessedishu.net slash shop. Slash shop. <laughs> also, come to the retreat in Nashville. Oh, September please. 6th. Yes. Blessedishu.net slash retreat. <laughs> Debbie, thanks for being here. So good to You're see you. You're so welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Good to see both of you. Yeah. I look forward to Nashville in the fall. Me Thank too. you so much, Debbie. Thanks, we'll chat thanks. soon. Okay. God bless. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for gathering with us here on the Blessed Is She podcast. Send over all your questions using the Anchor app. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.